You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined this week by Kyle Newbeck and Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat. As you already know, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and the TuneIn Radio app. You can also leave us a rating and a review if you can on iTunes specifically. I suppose the other ones too, but iTunes is the one we really care about. So we can get out to more to more listeners and charge more for our ads. But uh, hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> that's a very cynical approach to this podcast. Man, that's rough. Let's be real here. That's why we care. Um, uh, how you guys doing? Uh, uh, I'm doing better than the Cleveland Cavaliers are right now. And that was even, I mean, everybody else on the Warriors except for Stephen Durant had a, a relatively off night offensively, and they still did that to him. It's it's pretty insane what they've built. But uh, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sixers uh, totally should have went for it, though. <laughs> well, look, I don't, I'm not one to say <laughs> you should just punt the next four years. Like, that just doesn't no, seem no, like no. it. Waiting until there are no good teams in the NBA is probably not the best strategy, and I do think there's something to be said for, look, they're one, maybe two injuries away from from being beatable, but yeah, there is a there is a lot of ground to cover before the Sixers are realistically in any of those conversations, yeah. or any other team for that matter. Um, all right, moving on to the draft and how the Sixers can get from point A to point B, or at least take one step from point A to point B. Obviously... Sixers still haven't really even started their draft workouts yet, which is a little bit weird. It's usually started by now. They're still kind of going out and, and going to various camps and, and agent-sponsored workouts and whatnot. So there's not a whole lot that's changing. You know, Max and I did go through some of the prospects last week, but you know, I guess just flesh out a little more of, of where we're all standing and where we're not. And I guess we'll start this off because so many of the rankings are predicated on this. But if you're drafting for the Sixers, and we have been pretty strict adherence to best player available, and some people will still argue that that should very much be the case, how much of your ranking is 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 how much of your ranking takes into account fit? I guess is what I'm asking. So for me, at least, I guess this is a conversation about degrees because I I think if guy if you have guys that are equally rated or even like very closely rated like if we we're using like a hundred a hundred scale one guy is like a 94 and the other one's a 93 and the 93 guy just feels like a much better fit or slot into your system I think you could justify taking the 93 guy because if, if you really believe that it's that close then I think that's a very justifiable decision on the other hand, I do think maybe that people are treating this Sixers core as maybe more locked in than it might be, particularly with how little we've actually seen the two core pieces that are already in place. Like Joel Embiid's health is a, a total mystery. Ben Simmons hasn't played a game yet, and I know that we feel fairly certain that he's going to have certain issues with his jump shot and how certain areas of his game are going to translate, but we really don't have any NBA level examples of that. So 
I I think people are falling into the trap a little bit of just saying, oh, well, we can't take so-and-so because Ben Simmons or whoever else on the roster. But I will say, I guess the, the flip side of that is Ben Simmons, just the very nature of him as a prospect was always going to drive a lot of conversations like this. Because as, as great of a prospect as he is, I think you do have to consider the type of people that you need around him. Because he's a very unique player that is going to need other unique players to surround him. So short answer to that question, Derek, is I think you should be thinking about fit. But I still, at this point, because of where they're at in the rebuild, think I have more of a an inkling to still go for best player available when appropriate. Yeah, and I think a lot of the talk about the six, fit with the Sixers, I sort of lump that in with fit in the NBA. Like, let's take the Aaron Fox, for example, who a lot of people like and I like too. Uh, there is a big worry about his jump shot. And with Ben Simmons, you wonder what the Aaron Fox could do off the ball. But that is true for the entire NBA. Like, if the Aaron Fox can't shoot even a little bit, then he's going to have a big problem, despite being as quick as basically anybody I've seen since John Wall. So, and the, and the same thing goes for Josh Jackson. Like, if he can't shoot as a wing, like, yeah, yeah, he could do a lot of really good things, but that will limit his ceiling. So, you know, it, it's an interesting spot in the draft where a lot of these guys have a pretty high upside. But I think more than most lotteries, there's a bigger range in values here. So it's, for me, it's sort of like, what does this guy's medium value look like? Because a guy like Jonathan Isaac, I think if he reaches sort of his median expectation, that's going to be a good fit with Ben Simmons. If Josh Jackson reaches his median expectation, there's a chance that that might not work. So, I mean, I do agree with pick the best guy available, but I guess my point is these things are not necessarily mutually exclusive for each other, from each other. And I guess what I would say, I think a lot of times when people talk about picking the best player available, they're really saying like, well, De'Aaron Fox is going to be a star. You can't pass on a star. And I think, and this is kind of going with Rich and his, his median value. If I think if I saw that where I thought De'Aaron Fox was basically that he had a, a high likelihood of being a star, I would agree with you. You draft him and worry about fit later. If I thought there was, you know, a, a elite-level prospect among this group, if I looked at Josh Jackson, I said, man, he has a chance to really be a focal point of a team offensively, then yeah, draft him, see how he fits. By talking about fit, there's kind of an implicit, well, I'm not sure these guys have quite as much upside as maybe some people make it out to be. I'm not sure these are future stars and they're waiting even if things go relatively well. And I think that has to kind of be taken into account too. But, I mean, like Rich said, it's hard to be a point guard and not shoot. We talked about this the other day. You know, name a really good point guard that can't shoot. And the list is probably about Ricky Rubio and that's about it. And even for this team, I'm not sure if a lot of people would really want Ricky Rubio on his team next to Ben Simmons. And then that... That shows you how hard it is to really navigate being an NBA point guard without that jump shot. And same thing for a wing creator. It's really hard to do that if you can't consistently make people defend you at the three-point line, if you can't consistently make people defend you coming off of that pick and roll. So I think there's a lot of overlap there between I worry about 
Jackson and Fox's fit. And also I worry about Jackson and Fox reaching their, their real potential if they can't, can't develop that jump shot. So I'm not sure it's so much fit with Ben Simmons, but by the same token, if you look at it and you say, you know, I see I have three or four guys that have the same kind of, the kind of maybe expected upside, then I do think you have to take fit into account. Look, none of these guys that I look at, with the exception of Markel Fultz, none of these guys that I look at are better prospects to me or I have more confidence in becoming an elite player than Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. So ignoring their fit with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, even if we don't necessarily know exactly what those guys are going to be in the long run, Ignoring their fit is very tough for me to do. So I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's because I don't view these these questionable fits. And I mean really, when we say questionable fit, we're only really talking about jump shot and spacing the floor. I don't necessarily see those those fits well in the NBA if they don't work that out. And I certainly don't see that as a good fit with Ben Simmons. I don't have them marked drastically higher than the other guys in terms of upside anyway, so that's when fit becomes a concern. Well, so I actually I want to piggyback off something Rich said and ask you guys a question. So I I agree with what Rich said about Darren Fox that he's if he can't shoot, it's not just the Sixers that he's going to be a problem for. But something that I don't know if we've talked about really in depth. If and I don't I don't think he's going to be available when the Sixers pick. If Lonzo Ball can't beat anybody off the dribble. Is is that sort of guard useful in today's NBA? Like, and obviously you have to take into account other skills that he has too. He's a, a very good playmaker, but um, can a guard that can't beat guys off the dribble be a successful high level player in the NBA? See, I mean, and that's a great question, and that's sort of I, I think Derek agrees with me here. I uh, this is where fit comes into play a little bit for me here. Not to say that I wouldn't draft Lonzo second, but I totally agree. Like he did not get to the basket all that much at UCLA. Not nearly as much as you'd like to see from a point guard you take with the second or third pick in the draft. And, you know, he just if you look at him like he doesn't have the wiggle sort of that Markel Fultz has. He doesn't right. have the advanced ball handling moves that he has. Like like Fultz is probably close to elite in those categories. Maybe not elite. I think we toss around that word too much. But like he's very good in that respect. And Lonzo's poor, at least from what he showed. But he's the type of guy who I don't think you can necessarily judge by sort of the normal indicators of a point guard because he's the type of dude who makes the hit-ahead pass to get you an easy bucket. He's the type of dude who can shoot 25-footers off the catch, who can space your offense. He's the guy who just does little things like that. And with Ben Simmons, I think that has a chance to be a home run. So, like, he's the type of guy who I think his upside might be limited in some regards, but when you factor in the fit, he might be the highest upside player with a third pick there. Because, like, he's overqualified to be a co-handler with Ben Simmons, I think. I think we spend a little too much time focusing on, you know, can he be a quote-unquote lead guard, whatever that really means, in, in an era of positionless basketball. But if if I just, just described a guy to you and I said, look, he can shoot 26 feet from the basket and do it at a high rate. He can force turnovers at a, a borderline elite rate. He can push the ball in transition as well as pretty much anybody in the NBA. He can make that quick read in the half court exceptionally well. He has 
creativity that there might be only three, four, maybe five guys in the league who can match. And he's also a really good off-the-ball cutter who can finish finish when he has a head of steam to build up. And I said, could that guy add value at a really high rate? I think it would be pretty obvious to say, yes, he could. But I think because we want to define his role as a lead guard, a guy who's initiating the offense when in, in Philadelphia, that might not even be the case. I mean, look, you get Ben Simmons, you then go out and you, you try to find a two-guard who maybe can really run a lot of pick-and-roll action. Lonzo Ball's not going to be initiating most of your half-court offense. You're going to be looking at those ancillary skills and, and asking yourself whether or not that can really add value to to an offense. And if he's your your, your fourth-best offensive player behind Joel and beat Ben Simmons and guard X to be named later, yeah, I think he can add a lot of value to a team. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just curious because I watch a lot of the teams. Like, like, let's look at where the league is now. A lot of these teams are going smaller and smaller and smaller that are going deep into the playoffs, right? And there aren't going to be a lot of teams that are making deep runs that have a traditional big man playing minutes. Like the ones, like even the Golden State Warriors. Yes, they start Zaza Pachulia, but they don't end up finishing games or playing the most crucial stretches of the games with a big guy on the court. And that allows that them is, that to... That is fan-voted all-star Zaza Petrullian. <laughs> and that allows them to play a lot of guys at, like let's say, traditional center or big man positions that can create off the dribble. And so they don't... So, like, it doesn't matter as much on a team like that that, say, Clay Thompson doesn't have a, an advanced handle. Like, he can get away with having a lot of straight line drive. I'm not saying Clay can't dribble, but he certainly doesn't have, like, the tightest handle in the world. That's not why he brings value to that team. But the reason they can get away with that is, number one, now, because they have both Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. But prior to that, it was also because they had – a guy like Iguodala off the ball, a guy like Draymond Green that can create, that's effectively playing center in different lineups. The Sixers aren't going to have that luxury building around a guy like Joel Embiid. And so I wonder if you're too, like, if they draft Lonzo Ball number three, he's going to be a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot, as is Ben Simmons, as is Joel Embiid. And they only have so many guys that can create match up disadvantages on the perimeter that can cause the collapse of defenses. And I know that that's not the only way to distort a defense. And I take your point that, yes, Lonzo Ball ideally will be able to space the floor out to 25 feet or whatever it is and just pull up and shoot from anywhere. But I do worry that because of the Sixers' roster construction and because of what they don't have on the table compared to the way – a lot of different NBA teams are going, that that might have an impact on them that maybe we can't see now because Lonzo Ball played on a team that really was almost playing five out at different times during the season at UCLA. And I don't know that we've seen yet whether he's going to be able to have the same sort of impact once he's on a more, quote-unquote, traditionally set-up team. You know, I think I think a couple things real quick, and I'll let, I'll let Rich go. First of all, I think the attention that Joel Embiid's going to track down low is going to really help, really help Lonzo as a a, a cutter. Sure. I think there's going to be a lot of open cutting lanes because nobody's going to run a you know rotate off of Joel Embiid. And I also think Lonzo, for as much as we get on his man-to-man defense, I think he could be a really, really good 
off the ball, kind of free safety type defender. Also 6'6", six, six, too. Like, you know, six, six, right, he's which, got size, so he doesn't necessarily need to be... It's not Isaiah. Well, like he a, doesn't need to be on the points. Right, yeah. yeah, no, you, you can put him on the weakest perimeter player and get away with it and let him play that kind of off-the-ball free safety type defender to force turnovers and help get him and, and, and Simmons out on the break, which I think can add value there. But I also think you can't, like, just looking at it from what the Sixers currently have, I don't think is necessarily the best way to go about it because they're obviously still very early. You look at it, does he fit and beat in Simmons? And I think that's an unquestionable yes. And I think, like you, like I said earlier, you then say, okay, but they still have one more real high-level shot creator from the perimeter they have to get. And I look at it and I say, don't necessarily see that remaining in this draft. Like, I don't have a ton of, with the exception of maybe Dennis Smith Jr., I don't see an elite perimeter playmaker available at that spot. Whether that's, you know, looking at some of the fours and Isaac and Jackson and Tatum, I don't see that as their role. Obviously, Jackson is most qualified, but like I said, I have concerns about that shot. Without that shot, I don't think he can be that in this league. Tatum, that's not really his game at all. Uh, Monk, that's not his game. And Fox, I mean, I have the same concern about his jumper, which we'll get to in a bit. So I think when I'm looking at it, I see a very clear role that Lonzo Ball can play with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And yes, you still need more pieces around that. But because I see a clear role for him, and because I think it's, it's you know, you can get a perimeter playmaker. Like, this this league is littered with them. You can get one later on. I'm not going to pass on, you know, Ball just because there's one more piece you have to get to really make him fit perfectly. I, I love Lonzo, and I, it, I'm not going to let, you know, whatever his dad or any, or any of that noise deter me. And and I know he's a polarizing on court. Quite literal noise. Yeah. Like <laughs> I know he's a polarizing prospect on the floor too, because he's so unconventional, but I just think in the modern NBA, like if you put talent with that guy, which the Sixers have, like he, he's going to make it work. And I, I guess like to just finally circle back to the original point with uh fit versus BPA, with Lonzo, I don't necessarily think he has quite as high of a ceiling as, say, let's say Jackson, Dennis Smith, or uh, De'Aaron Fox. But the likelihood of those guys reaching that ceiling is lower than I would like it, than I would want it to be for me to take them over him. Like, because it's just BPA, like, you don't, it, it's kind of a dumb concept because you don't know who's going to be a better player when you draft them. That's why this is hard. Like, De'Aaron Fox, he played for Kentucky. Like, he didn't have best player available on his jersey. Like, like you don't know how he's going to translate to the pros. So, yeah, I just for, – for me, Lonzo would be the clear second guy. But, hey, like, if you think Jackson's shot's going to work, then I'd probably take him over Lonzo. But Lonzo just has the skill set that I think would translate to the Sixers and the NBA, and I'm pretty sure of it. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm just, I just it, like you said, Dresch, he is a very unconventional prospect. So, oh, it's so like, I, yeah, like I've had to think about it in ways that generally, if we're talking about top three, top five guards that are being selected, it's not a guy that there's a question like, so how is his handle going to translate or is he going to be able to get to the, like most of the guys you think of in that tier are generally that's not the concern. It's a jump shot or it's, it's whatever, but that's, yeah, it's just, I'm very interested to see how his career is going to play out regardless of wherever he ends up. And again, not because of LeVar, but because he's a very interesting player. I mean, the two guys you would always compare ball to is 
Ricky Rubio and Jason Kidd. And that's not entirely fair because both of those are are quite a bit better on the ball defenders, worlds better on the fault on the ball defenders. But I mean he Ball does have legitimately elite skills. And like Rich said, we kind of throw that word out there a little bit too a little bit too freely at some times, especially at this time of year. But if you're talking about his ability to push the ball in transition and, and some of the passes and court vision he can make, I do think he has those those skills at a legitimate elite level. And it's hard, like like Rich, it's hard for me not to see if you get a spaced floor with a big man who te- who grabs so much attention down low and has that kind of gravity, and you run cutters off of them. You know, one of the things I think if you want to really open up floor spacing, one of the easier ways to do that, force defenders to, to, to really stick every roll man, force them to really cut off every cutter, force them to really run off every screen. And you're going to open up a lot of room for, you know, Joel Embiid down low or those cutters running to the basket. You know, he, he makes every cut a, a, a real weapon that you have to defend against. And I think that can really help. I mean, I, I just, I love a really good passer, especially when it comes with actual, like, and again, I know we kill his defense, but I do think he's going to provide value. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a Malik Monk level non-contributor. So if you if you have that kind of passing with some defensive contributions and shooting, it would be hard for me not to see him. And it might not be a star level impact, but it would be hard for me not to see him being a a, a piece on a good team. I, I, want, I want him to succeed too quickly, just because like the, his shot is really ugly, and I don't like watching that, but. The way he plays basketball is fun to watch. Like, UCLA was my favorite team to watch in the NCAA this year. And sometimes I have trouble watching NCAA basketball because it's just not that good. Like, going back and watching Dennis Smith clips is kind of brutal because he has no no good spacing. <laughs> so, and that's not entirely, you know, that's not Dennis Smith's fault. But, like, Lonzo, just the, the way, it, it was so infectious, like, the way UCLA played. They just shared the ball and pushed the ball. And my hope is that whatever team he goes to, he's at least a little bit successful because I hope that influences sort of the next players coming up because that's it's more fun basketball to watch. I just yeah. want to say real quick, since Derek brought his name up, I can't stand the Jason Kidd comparison for Lonzo Ball because, number one, Jason Kidd couldn't shoot for shit until like at least 10 years into his career. He's much bigger in terms of like stockiness. I think he was a better athlete. Like I don't I know that like the passing and their their transition game, there's some comparisons. I just think that's a real that's just like try people have been trying to force feed that all year and I just don't really I think they're much different overall. You don't you don't see it in their transition play though, and their ability to force turnovers? Uh, I mean Sort of. Like, there's never there's never a comparison that's going to work one on one. Like that that doesn't exist. Well, yeah. Well, and that's why we've had conversations. I I don't generally really like prospect comps in general for sure. that reason. And because it's like, oh, he's Jason Kidd. It's like Jason Kidd was one but, of the best rebounders in the history of guards. Yeah. I don't think Lonzo Ball is going to be one of the best rebounders in the history of guards. I don't think he's going to lead that sure. Nets team so, yeah, yeah. as the primary ball My, handler by himself to the finals. Like, I just think that's can you stop talking for one second, Connor? No. <laughs> one second. <laughs> Part of my problem, the reason I don't like to use comparisons is because people take them too damn literally. Like, no, he's not going to match everything about Jason Kidd's game. He's not going to be as good as Jason Kidd. But the fact that he plays a similar style of play is all I'm getting at. And a similar height, too. Like, there's just aren't many 6'6 point guards who struggle getting the basket in the half court, are elite transition players, and eventually Jason Kidd was able to shoot. Like, there's just, there's like three or four people in NBA history you can compare him to. 
Stop taking it so damn literally. No, I just I don't think that Jason Kidd is a comp for him. That's all. I'm just strength continue strength to is the big area where I don't see him. You know, like like Jason Kidd could kind of bowl his way to the basket, just in back guards down. He's no like. Let's put it this way: like Michael Carter Williams is a better comparison for Jason Kidd. Than Lonzo Ball. Oh, see, I don't. I don't <laughs> remember that. Remember those ones when he got traded yes. to the Bucks? Yeah. Oh man, he's like a young Jason Kidd. He'll get them. Play under him as his coach. He's tall and can't shoot. That's it. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. He wasn't a great passer, though. That kind of kills that comparison a little more than, you know, whether or not he's a rebounder. Well, I guess my point here is that I think it's really stupid to compare people to one of the most unique guards that's played in the league in my lifetime. That's all. I mean, totally agree. This is a, totally one of the more unique guards that come into the NBA in quite a while, too. Like, it's not. It's not that every he's going to check every box. Or he's going to be as good of a player. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I'm still going to be a crotchety anyway, old man about it. <laughs> well, you play that role very well on Twitter, and <laughs> hey, got you a full time job. So congratulations, yeah, big time. All right, we'll we'll get back to talking about the NBA draft in a bit. But before we do, I want to talk about shaving. Do you find you're spending way too much money for razor blades that don't seem all that great? So did I. Then I found Harry's razors. You won't believe the quality of the blades you get. At only $2 per blade, they're less than half the price of competitors. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their most popular trial set for free. The set comes with a razor handle of your choice, a five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel, and it's free when you sign up. You just pay a small fee for shipping. To redeem your free trial offer, go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash sixersbeat. All right, moving on to jump shots. A lot of guys with questionable jump shots. And I'm going to focus specifically on the three forwards, Jackson, Isaac, and Tatum. And then also throw in De'Aaron Fox as well because the jump shot is going to be so crucial to his game. Which one of those, I guess, rank those four and which ones you have the most confidence in of their jumper? Rich, you want to take it first since I've been yelling at Derek for the last few minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'll go ahead. So, okay. So, you won't be getting any Harry's shaving uh, razors. I'll tell you that much. That's <laughs> some good product integration there. Um, okay, so it's it's so hard. Like, like the jump shot is, is such a tough thing to, to figure out, especially because all of these guys have weaknesses in their own ways. Um, so I, I guess the guy f- from purely a catch-and-shoot, standpoint. Jonathan Isaac, yeah, I, I would put these guys into two tiers. The The top tier would be Isaac and then Jason Tatum. Uh, Tatum worries me just because he's been more of a mid-range shooter, so it's like, can he take his jumper a step back? I know I know there was footage of him in an empty gym uh, improving that jumper. I, I'd, I'd like to see that at a little bit higher speed, but like Tatum at least has the form I want and at least has the pedigree. I, I know free throw shooting, you know, it, it might be a little overrated at this point. People are, are going nuts about it. And obviously we just talked about Lonzo. The, uh, but, but, but Tatum and Isaac from a catch and shoot standpoint, like I don't see that much wrong with their jumpers. Like Isaac, I'm a little worried about off the dribble, but that more has to do with his ability to create and, and dribble and see the floor. I, I do think he's got a decent, like, attack a closeout, one dribble, pull-up type game. I think he has the potential for that. So those two would be higher. And it, it's like we were saying earlier, like, 
Isaac might be a better fit, like a safer fit just in the entire NBA because I feel like that guy's going to make at least an open corner three. So then you bring it to Jackson and Fox, and I, I guess I would rate Fox higher than Jackson, which is like, God, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously better free throw shooter, and I do think his form is a little better. than like I, Some people say there's nothing wrong with his form, but like I, I'm a little worried about Fox having the strength to uh, to extend his, his range all the way past the NBA three-point line. Jackson is just, God, like, he, he would be the third overall pick. But, man, like, the hitch in that shot, it's different, a bunch of different it, – like, it's different from, you know, attempt to attempt. Sometimes he brings the ball down when dudes hit him right in the shooting pocket, which is just like – that drives me absolutely crazy. His shot doesn't have to be that long. So I guess the way I'd do it would be um, Isaac would be eh, – Tatum would be one, Isaac two, Fox three, and Jackson four. Uh, okay, so the only thing I would – so I agree with you that I think Tatum and Isaac are definitely – like that's just a separate almost conversation that those two are in the front. I probably would give the slight edge – to Tatum, despite not liking him as much as a player as I like Isaac, because I think as a shot maker, he's already further along, and maybe he doesn't ever expand that range, but I would bet that he'll be a, a fairly reliable shooter at the next level. I, just, there, I have other concerns with him that are why I've docked him a little bit. So Isaac would be second behind him, not that far behind. And I'm going to say... Jackson third, Fox fourth. And I know that that's probably – that might be a little controversial because I've i watched Jackson shoot a lot. I'm sure you guys have too. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have. And his shot is, to put it lightly, a mess at times. Like there are just so many different components of it that go wrong. But there was not any time that I watched Darren Fox this year – to line up a jump shot and thought, yeah, that's going to go in. Because I, I watched a ton of Kentucky, mostly because I was really fascinated by Malik Monk for a while. And I think at some point in late December or early January, I, I said something along the lines of, like, I don't think De'Aaron Fox has ever made a jump shot when I've watched him, and you can't prove to me that he has otherwise. And despite that it, it looks better aesthetically, I I just have I have zero confidence in him making jump shots. And everyone is like, I get the free throw stuff, and I know that's a huge indicator. The guy shot under 25% from three. He shot like 36% on two-point jump shots. Like overall, he shot in the mid-30s on all jump shots this year on like 230 Two attempts, I believe. I'd have to double-check the exact numbers on that. But there's just – I have very little confidence that that guy – I, I think the worst the worst stretches for Jackson were very bad, but at least he had like, oh, he's on a hot streak now. There was nothing for Fox. that He was a bricklayer all year, and I don't think he has the frame that he's going to all of a sudden – a little bit of strength is going to make the difference there. And a lot of people are saying, well, once his legs bulk up and this and that, I just, I don't really see it. And 
I'm not a shot doctor, so I might end up being totally wrong, and maybe in the future I'll, I'll really have to consider that free throw percentage a lot more. But it's not like this dude's shooting 85% from the line. He's shooting in the the low to mid-70s. So it's I, – I, I'm saying Jackson, but I, at third, I don't feel great about it, but I just – I have no belief in Fox as a shooter. Yeah, well, I mean, going to free throws – you know, you look at guys like Westbrook and Derrick Rose and John Wall. They've all shot 70 to 80 percent from the line from college right through the NBA, and none of them are really a consistent three-point shooter. The a three-point shot from 24 feet when a guy's closing out and you have a split second to to really get into your 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 rhythm, it's a, it's a completely different shot than the free throw. So I think yes, a, a free throw percentage is a metric you use when projecting out a shot. I think. In some instances, not all instances, in some instances it might even be the best metric, largely because of the sample size. But a lot of these guys, I mean, Lonzo shot twice as many threes as he did free throws. So I think we kind of, you know, kind of move off that rule a little bit or at least be flexible. But I do think we overrate it in terms of, you know, I think there are a lot of people that look at De'Aaron Fox and go, look, he can make free throws. It'll get there in time. And it's just there's too much difference between those two shots to really say that with any degree of certainty. And I think anytime you look at a shot, you know, any shot translating from the NBA or from college to the NBA is a question mark. You know, you can look at that Malik Monk and the fact that he's six three and now he's gonna be being closed out by NBA level size and athletes, there's a you have a pretty reasonable degree of certainty that he's gonna be able to make shots, but you don't know for sure. Uh, I mean there's been so many guys who've been elite college shooters who just can't get that shot off in the NBA. And I don't think that's gonna be the case for Monk because I think he gets such great elevation on his shot that he'll be able to overcome that. But there's a question for anyone, and certainly I don't think you can look at Fox's free throw percentage and say, oh, it, it, it's fate that he's going to reach reach this level of proficiency. And I do think it's also become a little bit, you know, I think a couple of people said, oh, his, his form's fine, and it, now it's been repeated so much that it's taken almost as fact. I don't necessarily buy that. You know, I think there's a lot of inconsistency in his footwork. To be honest, I don't know if he's, a, you know, like lining up his feet. I don't know if he's a straight shooter or a staggered shooter. Like it, It's so inconsistent, I couldn't even tell you. And there's a little bit, not necessarily a hitch in the middle of his form, but there's a very distinct pause. He's kind of like a two-motion shooter. And a lot of times when you do that, you lose some of the energy that your, your feet was building up. So you're shooting it a lot more with your arm. And I think that's a, a lot of the reason why as he extends that out to a further shot, he's going to have some some struggle with that. You know, he did shoot like 34% from the high school three-point line, I think it was. In, in, not in the AAU slash, you know, shoe camp type stuff, but in, in his regular high school high school games, which obviously is, I mean, you're, the le- difference in the level of competition, there's a reason we don't use that all that much because those are probably almost all wide-open shots. But you took a, a foot or two step back from high school to college. Now you're going to take another two step back from from college to the NBA, and I think his form makes it not again, not that he can't, but I think his form could lead to some inconsistency too. So my ranking is Isaac at one. I do have the most confidence in his shot. His shot came off the cleanest and the most consistent to me out of this group. Tatum at two. And I think Tatum was, I mean, like you guys said, pretty good mid range, but also pretty good when he was kind of creating his own offense. He seemed like he was almost better with a dribble or two to get into rhythm. And it did break down a little bit. You know, he seemed, he's the type that he seemed like he'd like to kind of lean backwards a little bit unnecessarily. And I, when he got contested, he did that a little bit more frequently. But I still have confidence that he can correct. Any flaws he has is relatively minor. I think he can eventually extend that out. 
like Kyle, my concerns come elsewhere. And then I would probably go Fox number three just because he has less moving parts in his in his release and his delivery. <clears throat> but I don't have a whole lot of confidence in either Fox or Jackson. So I can tell you that Fox, because of his jumper, I would take him off any consideration for the Sixers of three. Because Jackson, to me, does more things just for an NBA team to uh, than Fox does. Like, I have higher confidence in the other stuff that Jackson does than Fox to the point where even though I'm maybe a little less confident in his shot, I would still consider him with the third pick. But Fox, I, I, he's just out of there because I, I don't, I don't really see. An, I I think there's a chance for him to be a really good NBA player, but I wouldn't take that risk at three with the rest of his skill package. And like Kyle said too, even if Tatum is my top shooter, there are uh, there are other areas of his game, a lot of a lot of which on the defensive end, where I wouldn't consider him either. Yeah, I, I'm in 100% agreement on Fox. I think I, I have him towards the back end of the top 10 because I do think there's a talent drop off at a certain point that you have to just, you have to consider that. But I, I would in no way even consider Fox at number three. Yeah, I had, uh, I had Fox seven and Tatum eight. And it's largely for those reasons. Like if he can't shoot, and I don't have a whole lot of confidence that he can, then fitting on this team is going to be, I mean, Fitting in the NBA in general is going to be very tough. We talked about that earlier, but fitting on that team especially, the Sixers just aren't the right team to take that gamble of whether or not he can fix that shot. I agree. All right. Uh, I think that's – anything else you guys really want to throw in there before we head out? Have you talked yourself out of anybody in the last couple of weeks or talked yourself into anyone in the last few weeks that maybe you were not in on before or were sour on before at least? Dennis, Dennis, Dennis is just making the slow climb up my uh, my ladder, sort of. You know, he's he's slow playing it. He's trying to. He's like he's like a Kentucky Derby horse who's closing at, at the end. <laughs> Pretty strong. Um, I just watch like the situation he's played in, and it's, it's just brutal. like man, like, can you even give me like a little bit of spacing so I could watch what this guy can do? Because uh, <laughs> with Smith, I'm a little worried about his quickness and, and I, I do wonder if that had to do with his first year coming off the ACL and I also wonder if it had to do with like oh yeah there's like three guys in the paint so the defender can kind of play off him a little bit uh and, and get up in him and w- without any uh you know without any fear of him getting to the rim and uh I, I do wonder with the situation because I, I do think like he has a really high upside and would also fit the Sixers. He'd kind of check both of those boxes. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he's the guy that I think teams will either look back in a few years and say, man, what the hell were we thinking? Why did we pass on him? Or it could be, no, yeah, that's totally what I expected. And he flamed out because it's just all the same concerns that he had at NC State were still sort of there when he got to the next level. I could see it going either way. I think he's a very he's a more volatile prospect than some of these other guys. Yeah, he very much is. Um, like Rich said, that spacing. I do agree that maybe the driving wasn't there all the time, and it seemed like at times his first step would look not average, but not elite, and then other times it would look elite. And you wonder how much of that is how they were playing him, how much of that was the injury. Um, but he, he definitely turned it on at times to a degree that. 
I mean, it's just you, you, you can't teach that kind of quickness and, and speed and athleticism. In a draft where I just don't find a whole lot of prospects who have both talent and fit, he is, I mean, I, I think I moved him up to fifth, and it wouldn't even shock me if he could inch his way to fourth by the end of it just because he checks both of those boxes and very few do. Yeah, that's the way my big board looks. You know, it's the two guards at the top. And then you have Jackson sitting there at three, who I don't know what to do because of the jump shot that we just discussed for 20 minutes. And and then it's Isaac and Smith. Do you want to go with the guy who is more of the higher floor guy? Or do you want to are, – are you willing to roll the dice and maybe get the uh, get the guard who would be more than qualified for the third option, even if his downside is – a lot lower than Isaac's, I would say. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement here. Yep. Which doesn't make for interesting podcast material, but... Well, we yelled at each other earlier. That's fine. And we had some pretty <laughs> good disagreements on Lonzo, too, because you're right, two weeks ago, you know, it seemed like our big boards were very closely aligned, so we got to air a little bit of grievances today, so that was that was good to get out. Yeah, I'm going to have to make up some more disagreements so we don't bore people to death over the next month. Look, if they've been listening this long and they're they're not bored already, I don't know what to tell you. Embrace agreement should be our our instead of embrace debate, embrace agreement. <laughs> That's what it should be. Right. Thank you all for jumping on. We'll talk to you soon. And please, everyone, don't unsubscribe. At once. All right. See you guys. See you guys. You've been listening to the Pitcher's Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. dot